Hello, and welcome to the Pathmic Psychiatry for Primary Care podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's podcast on OCD. I'm Whitney Landa, Director of Education and Psychiatrist in your Palo Alto location. OCD is characterized by obsessions and compulsions. So obsessions are recurrent, persistent thoughts, urges, or images that are intrusive and unwanted. They have to cause anxiety or distress, and the patient has to try to ignore, suppress, or neutralize them. So some common obsessions would be about cleanliness, disease, bad things happening to family members. Compulsions are repetitive behaviors, such as washing, checking, organizing, but they can be lots of other things too, or mental acts. So that's important. It doesn't have to be a behavior that's observable. Things like counting or repeating in response to the obsessions or to rigid rules that they set for themselves. The compulsions are specifically to decrease the anxiety or to prevent some sort of dreaded outcome that they've connected to their obsession, but in a illogical fashion or clearly it's excessive. Or a compulsion could be something that's just excessive in and of itself. One thing we see a lot in OCD is things having to be done over and over and over again until they're done right. So I have to brush my teeth until it feels exactly right, even if they can't say exactly what that would be. Or it has to be done seven times and they don't know why, um, but it has to be or it causes a lot of anxiety. Another option would be, even though it's illogical, if I don't brush my teeth this certain way, I feel like my mother is going to die. People with OCD will have those kind of thoughts. The other requirement is that the compulsions and obsessions have to take up a lot of time, usually more than an hour a day. So a lot of people have, you know, moments of these or, you know, for some reason the radio always has to be turned a certain way. But it's not something that creates a lot of anxiety. It's not something that takes up a lot of your day. That's not OCD. So people will come in and say that too, but they just have little OCD traits. You know, Tetch and I, I always like to tell people that doctors actually have more OCD traits than the general population on average, which is true. So I tell them they're in good company. The other thing about OCD diagnosis is that symptoms do wax and wane, so we're not looking for them to be consistent over a specific period of time. Uh, We expect them to sort of come and go over someone's lifetime. And people typically have good insight, and that's one of the reasons why OCD diagnoses are often delayed, because people know that's illogical. Why would my mother die because I don't brush my teeth a certain way? That doesn't make sense. And so they often won't tell people about it, and they'll get diagnosed later. But some people have what we call poor insight, which means that they really think that could be true or they really do believe their obsessions or that their compulsions are necessary. And it can sometimes be difficult to diagnose OCD because it looks like a lot of other things as well, especially in young children. Um, The biggest one in young children is autism, especially if the kids aren't verbal. Is this a... STEM or is it OCD? 
If they're verbal, you can ask them about the cognitive component. You know, do you have a certain thought? Does that make you feel better about anything? And that can help you tease it out. But my number one go-to is, does this seem to make them happy? Do they enjoy it? In which case, it's probably not OCD. But again, that can be hard to sort out. Another one that is sort of our classic rule out is OCPD or obsessive compulsive personality disorder. People with the personality disorder have rigid rules for everyone. They think they're completely justified. They don't see them as illogical at all. They get really angry when their rules are broken, not anxious. People with OCD typically know that their rules are illogical and they don't feel like other people should follow them. So that can be a good distinguisher between the two. Sometimes severe generalized anxiety disorder can look like OCD. And that one, I usually rule out by what else is happening around it. So if it really sounds like severe generalized anxiety in every way other than they're really obsessing about something and they have some rituals or compulsions around that. It could be severe rumination from generalized anxiety. And so what I tell people, because they usually think they have OCD, is, you know, let's see once we get the anxiety down lower, if that fades away, I sort of expect it to. But if it doesn't, we'll relook at the OCD question. Uh, but typically, those people do not also have OCD. Though, as I said, when the anxiety comes down, you'll see if they do or not. The other one that can be really tricky is OCD versus anorexia nervosa, because there's a lot of parallels. Typically, we think about whether or not it's exclusively related to food, but a lot of people think about anorexia nervosa as a severe form of OCD. So when I'm looking at, you know, is this OCD, I'm thinking, are these obsessions and compulsions entirely around food, gaining weight, body image? If they're more worried about, well, I have to eat this chicken in an odd number of bites, not an even number of bites, or the chicken has to be cut in certain ways with certain shapes, it has to be in a certain area on the plate, more than they're worried about the calories that the chicken's going to give them. That could be OCD, but again, that can be a fine line to draw once the anorexia gets severe. And one rollout that just um, occurred in my clinic was ticks. So OCD is often comorbid with ticks, but sometimes ticks are actually compulsions. So what I usually ask people to think about when they tick is, is there a cognitive thought that you're counteracting? Sometimes they'll say, yeah, I'm really worried about making that sale. And I'll say, well, unless you think that your tick is specifically counteracting something, then it's probably a tick because ticks worsen with anxiety as well, but they don't have that cognitive link that compulsions from OCD do. But I have seen a couple of people where it looks like a tick, but it's really a compulsion and that's important for treatment because ticks are usually going to be treated with guanfacine or a dopamine blocker, and OCD is going to be treated with a serotonin reuptake inhibitor. Comorbidities with OCD are extremely common. So we often see ticks, but 76% of people with 
OCD have another anxiety diagnosis, 41% will have major depression and 60 something percent will have some sort of mood disorder in addition, either major depression, bipolar disorder, or something else. There's also higher rates of body dysmorphia, trichotillomania, or skin picking. So as you guys have probably picked up on, it can be hard to diagnose OCD. So if you're having trouble, the Yale Brown Obsessive Compulsive Scale is awesome. And they make a self-report version, and there's adult and child versions, so it's my go-to. I'll tell people to fill it out and give it to me. And if you've never looked at it, I really recommend looking at it because it will give you an idea of the various types of obsessions and compulsions that are commonly seen in OCD. There's a huge number of them, way more than we're going to get into in this podcast. But that would be a quick way just to look and see what sort of symptoms you might find in this illness. So we touched briefly on treatment, but in general, our first-line treatment for OCD is an SSRI or SNRI. And our goal in OCD is symptom reduction more than symptom remission. If we get symptom remission, that's awesome. But even if the goal is to soften the symptoms enough for the therapy to take effect, that would be, you know, a great goal pharmacologically speaking, because really the backbone of treatment for OCD is therapy. The most effective is exposure and response prevention therapy, where they make a hierarchy of obsessions and compulsions, and they have to expose themselves to the anxiety of not following through on that compulsion or not getting reassurance around that obsession. Reassurance seeking can be a compulsion. And it's very, very effective. But anytime you're thinking treatment for OCD, make sure they've had a therapy referral and you really encourage them to get into therapy. It can be hard to find a therapist who specializes in OCD. So I wouldn't hesitate to treat OCD while they're looking, especially if it's really affecting their functioning. But I really push them to keep looking. So um, back to the SSRIs, you're going to be targeting a little higher dose for OCD. It typically needs a higher dose. It also typically needs even more time to work. So while it already takes a long time for general depression and anxiety, you're looking a little longer for OCD. So this is a condition where I'll start the dose at the same dose I would start at for depression, but I might push the dose up higher more quickly based on tolerability, especially in adults or older teens if their OCD is severe, because I know that we're going to need to give it a full 12 weeks before we really see if it's helping with the OCD. And in kids... I'll give it a little longer, but I'm still going to start at those low, low doses and not push the dose up too high, but I'm going to give it a full four to six weeks before I make an assessment rather than two to four, which I told you in our deep dives into some of the SSRIs. So max dose of Zoloft for OCD is 400 milligrams. Lexapro is 40. Prozac is 100 or 120 milligrams. So as you can see, much higher than our standard dosing for non-OCD illnesses. I'm going to touch on two treatments for OCD. These are not deep dives, so don't expect the level of detail that are in the deep dive podcast, but I do want to touch on them. The first is fluvoxamine or Luvox. I especially like the CR form of Luvox, and I recommend you use that. Um, Sometimes it's a little too high of a starting dose in kids, but certainly with adults. 
It's FDA approved for OCD and social anxiety. It works really well for depression, anxiety, PTSD, anything you'd use an SSRI for, but it is FDA approved for OCD. One special thing about Luvox is it binds the Sigma-1 receptor, which can give quick relief of anxiety or insomnia. So we don't have to wait you know, the full six weeks for any benefit. The dose range for the CR form is 100 to 300 milligrams per day. You're going to start at 100 milligrams and increase it by 50 milligram intervals. Don't go above 300 milligrams. The risk of seizure is quite high above that dose and not really thought to be worth it. Some specific things about Luvox. Caffeine is more likely to make people jittery or have a bad reaction, so I tell them to decrease their caffeine intake. Smoking also increases the metabolism of Luvox, so you have to be a little careful in smokers. And Luvox decreases the metabolism of benzodiazepines, so if they're on a concurrent benzo, you have to adjust that dose. Luvox in general has a lot of drug-drug interactions, so if someone's on a lot of medicines, I might avoid it for that reason, Uh, but it is a good medicine. So if you aren't in that situation with a smoker, someone who's on a lot of benzos, it can be a great medicine. If you have a patient with OCD and you've tried lots of different medicines and they don't seem to respond to anything, I encourage you to consider clomipramine, which is a tricyclic antidepressant. I would probably use the e-consult service before you start it. It's a little trickier to use. So it is FDA approved for OCD. It's a serotonin and norepinephrine reuptake inhibitor, but it also increases dopamine neurotransmission in the frontal cortex. So it has implications across the three neurotransmitters. Same onset of action in OCD, 6 to 12 weeks. Because it's a TCA, you're going to get a baseline EKG in patients that are over 50 years old because it can increase the QTC. It has a higher risk for waking and just overall a higher risk for side effects in general. It's very anticholinergic, so I'd avoid it in elderly patients if at all possible. Um, and again, this is something where I only use it if we've tried lots and lots of other things and they just haven't worked. It's also much more likely to cause serotonin syndrome than other agents. So if someone's on something that already has serotonin, I'll start it at 25 and leave that for a really long time before I go up. Um, The dose range is 50 to 250 for clomipramine, but um, above 250, it does have increased risk of seizures again, so we would avoid that. I like to start it, as I said, at 25. If they're not on any other medicines, I'll take them up to 50 pretty quickly, but if they're on any other medicines, I usually leave them at 25 for a while. Again, use the e-consult before you start it. As you're adjusting the dose, we're here for you in psychiatry. You don't have to do that on your own. Uh, But it is something you could use if people are, you know, sort of treatment refractory OCD and you want to make sure you're helping them. Ideally, you would be getting them into a psychiatrist. But as we know, that can be hard. So while you're waiting, if you want to try this medicine, you absolutely should. Just ask us for help through the e-consult service. I also want to touch on a few special populations with regards to treatment. So OCD with poor insight, we talked about that. Those are the people who really think their obsessions are true or that their compulsions are necessary. It's sort of delusional, right? Similar to a psychotic disorder. 
And adding a second-generation antipsychotic like Risperdal, Abilify, Seroquel, those are all very helpful. If people have true comorbid tics and they have ADHD, I will definitely add guanfacine. The research on guanfacine for tics is that it's best in people who do have ADHD, but I still like to try it just because you know, it has a lot less side effects than a second-generation antipsychotic, but second-generation antipsychotics are much more effective for ticks. So if people have very bothersome ticks, I'll go ahead and start it. If they're mild, or even if they're significant, but they're not particularly bothered by them, I would never treat a tick. Uh, so people with bipolar disorder are another special population because often they can't tolerate serotonin reuptake inhibition, a lot of people that will cause them to switch into mania or for their mood to destabilize. So the first thing you're gonna do is try really hard to stabilize the mood. You might increase the dose of the mood stabilizers or the second generation antipsychotics they're already on. Then try adding a very low dose SSRI at first. This is one situation where you're not gonna push the dose up for tolerability because we wanna make sure they don't switch into mania. But I have patients who just can't tolerate it, in which case Lamictal and Topamax both have efficacy as adjuncts in OCD. And so I'll use those and they're helpful and sometimes helpful enough combined with the therapy. Of course, the other special population is always children, low and slow in kids always. So you're going to start at the very lowest dose you can of an SSRI, but don't assess them at that two-week mark for improvement, you're really going to be looking at the four to six week mark for improvement. It is still considered standard of care to check in with them in the two week time frame because of the risk of that black box warning, the intrusive suicidal thoughts. So I do still check in with them at two weeks, but I tell them this is about tolerability. This isn't about effect. Um, and then we move from there. OCD is incredibly rewarding to treat. So don't hesitate to treat. And don't hesitate to ask for help. Again, that e-consult service is super useful, especially if you're thinking about using clomipramine. But anytime you feel stuck with any psychiatric issue, feel free to use it. I hope this was a good introduction to diagnosis and treatment of OCD. And I hope everyone has a great day.